This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Karen Stewart. My goal is to challenge you, motivate, and encourage you to live your life boldly as a Christian out loud. Do me a favor. If you find anything of value, any motivation, any encouragement, help me spread the word like this. Share it on all your channels. And thanks for listening. Let's get started. Often it's pretty easy to see what a person values by the way that they spend their time and their money, right? Uh, Money you can make more of, time you can't. It's the only truly non-renewable asset that exists. So when you spend your time or use your time, you can't recover it. You can't get it back. You can't make more of it. There's 24 hours in a day. 168 hours in a week, 730 hours in a month, and over 8,000 hours in a year. And once they're gone, there's absolutely nothing that any person can do to get more of them. So that means whatever you spend your time doing and pursuing would have to be a great indicator of what is important to you and what you value. I may have talked about the terrorists who executed the attack on America on September 11th. 19 guys, they came into the country about a year plus before the attacks took place with one purpose, to execute a planned attack that was about five years in the making. And the alleged underlying motive for that attack, among other things, was the perceived attack that the United States had instigated against Allah, his messengers, and Muslims in general. Now, let me be clear on a few things before I go any further. No matter what anyone tells you, Allah is not just another name for God, the true and living God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is absolutely not true. Allah and Jehovah are not two different names for the same God. I know people like to say that there's only one God, but we just call him something different. But as Christians, we need to know that that is absolutely not the truth. There are many different gods and they have many different names, but we serve the God who is Lord of all and has the name which is above every name, period. You really need to be clear on that. Anyway, I've always said that the thing that impacted me the most about that whole event, besides, of course, the horrific impact and all the aftermath of that, it was the fact that on the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men woke up and knowingly, devotedly, and resolutely left their homes knowing that they would never return. They left their homes that day knowing that was the day they would die. And they would die because they made a decision that they would lay down their lives for the cause and for the honor of their God. I'm telling you, I was absolutely provoked by that level of commitment and dedication to the God that they served. 
And not after, long after that, I read this article in the New York Times about these death camps or death colonies in Turkey. There were a group of young people called Hunger Warriors who had executed at that time the longest and deadliest hunger strike against a government in modern history. Their reason for orchestrating this gruesome event was that the Turkish government had modernized their prison system and instead of housing prisoners in a large dormitory style building, they were being kept in single, double and triple cells. And they believed that this was being done to keep the prisoners separated and isolated to prevent them from contacting or communicating the larger population of prisoners and ultimately to segregate them completely and potentially maybe even never release them. Okay, so I'm not evaluating the validity of their cause, even though, even though there is so much <laughs> that I could just unpack there. I'm not even going to get into it. The thing is, this article was written about six weeks after 9-11. And in a very similar way, here there is a group of people who were so committed and devoted to their cause that they were willing to die for it. And in the Turkish death camp story, they had perfected this method to keep people alive with no food, by the way, for two to three hundred plus days. So this was not some kind of quick and glorious death. This was upwards to, and in a few cases, over a year of prolonged suffering and anguish, which all of them willingly signed up for. And there were literally scores of people on waiting lists to take their places and take their beds once those people died. Again, this story shook me to my core. Another group of people, dedicated, devoted, and they were willing to lay down their lives and their everything. And I thought, what about me? Was there anything at all that I was that devoted to that I would be willing to die on purpose for it? And at that time, I had been in ministry preaching for almost 20 years, and you would think that surely, of all people, someone who had allegedly surrendered their life to Christ and was supposedly dedicated to helping other people do the same, you would think a person like that would easily be able to answer that question. But honestly, that's why I was so provoked and convicted. Though I was fully aware that Jesus had willingly done that very thing, laid down his life, except when he did it was for a righteous cause and a willingness to pay the price for me that I could never pay. I knew that, but I could not say that I was willing to do the same thing for him. Now, listen, I am not saying that Christians are required to participate in some kind of ridiculous suicide missions to prove to the world or anybody else for that matter that we love God. I'm not saying that at all. But the true message of the gospel really does not present some kind of free pass to eternity. Yes, salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned or bought, but it does come at a cost. There was 
um, a song that came out around 2004 by a group called Shekinah Glory Ministry, and the song was called Yes. I'm telling you, that song for me was absolutely haunting. I feel like it was probably like a 15-minute song, 14 or 15 minutes long, and, and it had words in it like, there is more that I require of you. Will your heart and soul say yes? And if I told you what I really need, would your heart and soul say yes? Then there's this ad lib line where the lead singer sings, be careful what you answer because your yes might cost you everything. And see, that was the whole problem right there. If I was honest, that was what challenged me for years in my relationship with God. What was I going to do if he asked me for something or asked me to do something that I was unwilling to give or to do? Years ago, in fact, it was around 1997 or 98, I felt like the Lord was leading me to study the lives of the prophets and begin with Ezekiel. So as I'm reading this book and researching his life, all I could see at that time was a man whose entire life was taken from him by God. I've always said Ezekiel is not a book to be read by the faint of heart. Ezekiel is a book that shows what radical obedience looks like. And of course, there's many others too. But here's a guy who is called to a people that have not and will not listen to God. In fact, when God calls him in chapter three, check this out. He tells him, you need to go to this people and these people are not foreigners to you, but they are the very house of Israel. In verse six and seven, it says, I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. For surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Then you go down a little bit, verses 17 through 21. He goes on to say, if I give you a word to the wicked to warn them that they shall surely die and you decide you don't want to tell them, when they die, I will require their blood at your hand. But if you tell them when they die, you'll be free. So you telling me that I got to go, even though you know on the front end, they're not going to listen. Okay, that's not all. God is picking this guy up by his hair. He has him eating entire literal physical scrolls of paper, acting out midnight escapes when nobody is chasing him. God has him bound on his left side in what would be the middle of town for 390 days and then turns him over on the right side and binds him up for another 40 days. And, and while he's doing this, he's eating his food like it's rationed or he's in a famine or something. There were a bunch of other things that he required him to do that were demonstrations of the life that was to come for Israel. And then the Lord takes from him his wife in chapter 24 and does not let him mourn to demonstrate to Israel that they would experience the loss of the delight and desire of their lives and not be able to mourn in their captivity. All of what Israel went through was to be a sign and an example to a people that God knew on the front end would never listen. And yet because of his great love, he still chose to give them every chance and every opportunity to repent. And he called Israel, not Israel, he called Ezekiel, 
to walk with him when he did it. Now, most of us do not and will not have a call on our lives like Ezekiel. And all I can say is, heaven help us if we do. But no matter what our overarching destiny may be, if we are to receive fully the gift that Jesus paid for with his life and everything that goes with it, it's going to cost us hours. If we are truly going to receive the gift of salvation, if we have, it cannot be added to our lives, but it has to be exchanged for our lives. Now, I know that if we all supposed to be Christians, that should be pretty basic, right? That's Christianity 101. But if we really know that and have chosen that and live like that, it means our entire perspective and outlook on life and the world is through the lens of what Jesus wants and how he feels. And if it's not, it's supposed to be the desire of our hearts and what we are actively moving toward. I'm not talking about that tired, cliche thing that people say, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the sense of I am getting closer to reflecting that reality in my life every single day. That's where we're supposed to be. And it's unfortunate, but I really don't often hear people talking about salvation in a manner that makes it clear that from the moment you say yes to the Lord, that you then see your own life as dead and completely over and your new life in him as having just begun. That's where the whole born again term comes from. But what does that even mean? That means a willingness to surrender every area of your life to him. Your thoughts, your words, your every action, your time, your money, your family, your relationships, your assets, your everything, everything that pertains to you and your life, that you view that and look at it is no longer belonging to you, but to him. So that means giving thought to the things we do and say and post on social media, to the way we treat people, no matter how they may be treating us. It means giving thought to the way we spend our time and our money and being willing to respond to him when he may lead us to go a different way. It means that if we don't have a regular and consistent ongoing relationship with him, that we prioritize that in earnest. Communion with God should not be some random occurrence that only happens when we are in crisis or we lost our car keys and need God to help us find him. Communion with God should be consistent growing day by day, and it should be fruitful. And if it is not, why? Could it be possible that we've not placed a high enough value on him and what pleases him? In a practical sense, exchanging your life for his and surrendering your everything to him will look different for all of us. But it begins by placing a premium value on who he is what he wants, and making it your life's goal to live that way every day of your life. When I first read Ezekiel over 20 years ago, I felt like serving God and living for God would literally require me to lose everything. Honestly, 
It looked like a prison sentence to me, almost like a cruel punishment. That's just honestly what being sold out looked like to me. It looked like no fun. It looked like no joy. It looked like no satisfaction. It looked like no personal enjoyment of any kind, at least not what I would think was enjoyment. But what I learned was the reality of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I learned that laying everything I have, everything I am, and everything I want down at the foot of the cross was not a form of punishment, but it was the reward. And I learned that everything I was ever looking for was in him, and it was him. He was everything I ever wanted, and I never even knew it. So listen, if you're listening to this, it means that you are probably a follower of Christ. So I ask you, what is it worth to you to demonstrate your commitment and devotion to the one you say you love? What is it worth to you to start living this day, right now, boldly, out loud?